Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford, and it is time for another Destination Health mini-series. This one, all about ketones. We're going to combine this with our our blood sugar mini-series and have a really comprehensive um, series on blood sugar and blood ketones and testing and ketogenic diets and Lots and lots of cool stuff. Joining me on this episode, we're going to talk about the ketogenic diet and ketones and ketone testing and all kinds of things. We're going to have more episodes of this. Joining me today from our partner, Keto Mojo, Jessica Ernst. Jessica, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for inviting me. Yeah, great to have you here. So before we get into ketones and all that fun stuff, we like to get to know our guests. So what is your role at Keto Mojo? So I am a registered dietitian and I have actually specialized in the ketogenic diet for the past 12 years, starting off my career actually at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, working with children with pediatric epilepsy and utilizing dietary treatments to help cure their epilepsy syndrome. And recently, about a year and a half ago, I joined the team at Keto Mojo as their clinical educator. So I am now educating practitioners and customers and the society on the benefits of the ketogenic diet and blood ketone testing. So it's really been a great experience so far. Excellent. So I I heard something there that caught my attention. We don't talk to a lot of registered (laughs) dietitians. I tend to have registered dietitians usually attack me and tell me I'm killing people and I should stay in my lane because I'm a truck driver and I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, So it has to be interesting being a registered dietitian and, and promoting and using ketogenic diets. How did that come about? You know, it's interesting that you started in in a hospital where they were actually doing this. I've talked about that a lot, the Charlie mm-hmm. Foundation and how that all got started and really interesting story. So was that kind of why happened? Was it because you were part of that ketogenic program? Kind of. So, so as a registered dietitian, we do, we are required to complete four years of an undergraduate degree, which I at the Ohio State University. And then I went on to get my master's degree in nutrition. And we have to then do an internship where we work at the hospitals and in the community. And I will tell you, Kevin, I did not get one single experience, not one single mention in all of those years about ketogenic diets or even low carbohydrate diets. It was not taught or talked about at all. So when I got my first job at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, I was actually thrown into this program of learning about this type of diet that could help cure epilepsy. And I I didn't know anything about it. So I actually had to completely teach myself, which when you read about the ketogenic diet, that it just it goes against everything that I was ever exactly. actually taught in thinking. undergrad. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, wait a minute. What is this? What is this? You're telling, I've been taught about the food pyramid right. where the smallest part of the food pyramid is fat. 
And you're telling me to flip it upside down to help cure somebody's epilepsy? I don't understand. So it's, it's actually really interesting. And, you know, the ketogenic diet, low carbohydrate diets have come so far in my 12 years of being a dietitian that I, I just, it's absolutely incredible about how many different clinical conditions that and overall metabolic health that this type of eating plan can, can improve. So I feel very much more useful and well-rounded as a registered dietitian in this space. Let's talk about that for a second. You know, like you said, as soon as they started talking about a ketogenic diet, it flew in the face of everything you had been taught. It was like we're being shown all the things you are not supposed to eat because they'll kill us. Mm-hmm. So how much of that education, honestly, is really completely wrong and worthless? It, not even worthless, dangerous. I mean, isn't it registered dietitians oh, that feed people in the hospital? Yes. Every time I visit somebody in the hospital, it just disgusts me. I want to scream at everybody around saying, what the hell are you doing? You're poisoning all these people. That's exactly right. You know, and it's interesting. I, I never directly worked with the cardiac, you know, patients who had heart issues. I never really worked on that floor, but I have multiple dietitian friends who do. And they suggest that you should even see what we're giving to these people after a heart transplant. Like, right. you know, it's just know. absolutely incredible. Well, with, with that in mind, listen to this. I- just I do a lot of reading, a lot of research reading, but I just love to read too. So I, you know, throw in novels for a break. It, I read a paragraph mm-hmm. in a novel. No big deal. Just a case Scarpetta novel that I happen to be reading for the fun of it. And I read this one short paragraph and I thought if you wanted to sum up why the American population is so sick this one paragraph, that wasn't the point of the paragraph at all. It was just the descriptive paragraph. But after I read it, I thought, this is it right here. We should post this on every food product in the grocery store other than the meat. So listen to this. Again, nothing about health. Uh-huh. It's just a descriptive paragraph in some random novel. We sat inside her small kitchen of linoleum and white formica and pine cabinets. It was impeccably clean with boxes of cereal neatly lined on top of the refrigerator and counters arranged with big glass jars filled with cookies, rice, and pasta. The dishwasher was running, and I could smell a cake baking in the oven. And I thought to myself, there it is right there. (laughs) There is why the American population is so sick in one simple paragraph. Isn't that right? And not a medical term It's the sugar. It's killing us. it, it, It is. That's not food. That is, they did not describe anything that we should be eating in there except maybe a little bit of white rice. That, that's exactly right. And the fact that it's in a novel, it's, well, because you have that I, visualization, right, of exactly what that is. I know, I'm sure right. a lot of people can probably relate to that. Exactly. And it's just, it's scary. Yeah. Nobody would ever say we've got a steak yeah, right, <laughs> and a thing right. of butter, you know, <laughs> nobody's ever going to talk about and a, that. And a pound of bacon and we saved the bacon fat to cook right. with. And right. That's, that would be how you'd have to describe my kitchen. Right. Exactly. Same for me. <laughs> there aren't any boxes in Same sight. Same for me. The most of anything you might call a can in my pantry is actually a glass jar that I canned myself. 
Not many boxes in sight and certainly nothing they're describing here. It's just is really, really honestly, it's sad where our, where this whole food industry has gone and it scares me. It's scary for my young children and the, the fact that so many people are so uninformed or uneducated surrounding the word ketogenic because a lot of people hear keto and they think, well, that's just a fad diet. That's not, that's just going to help. People are just going to lose 10 pounds in a week. And then you're just going to gain it all back when you start going back to normal eating. And I just, my, I think one of my biggest goals in my career is to educate practitioners, educate other dietitians and educate the community on how beneficial this lifestyle, not diet, but this lifestyle of this low carbohydrate ketogenic lifestyle can be for your overall health to improve your mitochondria to completely change the way that your body utilizes food as medicine, because that is what, how we need to think about it is that this can reverse disease eating this type of way is not a fad. It's been around for hundreds of years and it can completely transform your life. You know, you were involved in this, you said 12 years ago. For me, it's been about eight. You were involved in this early enough. I'm sure you'll appreciate this. How many times did you have to explain the difference between ketosis and ketoacidosis? More times than you could ever imagine. (laughs) I I just, there was a point where I just recorded it. When somebody would ask, I would say, here, listen to this. I just got so tired of these people that were in like a panic. Well, and it's not, it's. Go ahead. Yes. It's even the doctors. Uh, Right. The doctors, the physicians, the health professionals. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's a knowledge gap. It's something that even though it's been around for so long, it's, the research on ketogenic and low carbohydrate diets is just absolutely gone through the roof. And it's a change of thinking that we have to continue to get the education out to the masses to understand. You know, something else I try to make clear to people because they, you know, when paleo came out, they called it a fad. Get why. Almost every diet that's ever existed tends to be a fad, right? They, they, there's this mm-hmm. diet that somebody describes and a bunch of people go try it, but eventually it seems like they all end up just back eating the way they used to eat, right? That, that's such a clear pattern. It's right. gone on forever. Mm-hmm. So I can see right. why we'll think that of every diet. So paleo came out. Well, that's a Correct. fad. Well, you know, when I, when I first heard paleo, it was the first time a diet actually made sense to me. Almost every other diet, mm-hmm. I've tried a bunch of them. I think everybody has. Almost every other diet, I kept thinking, why is it that I'm always hungry? And, and if you're hungry, you're just miserable. You can't think right. It just interferes with everything. Hunger is a very, very powerful biological signal. You know, to say, well, you just don't have enough willpower because you can't, you know, ignore your hunger signals, I think is wrong. Our body knows if you don't get nutrition, you're going to die. So this is a really strong signal to go eat. So it it just seemed to me after trying every diet, the only way I could ever make any diet work was to be hungry most of the time. And I thought, there's something Mm -hmm. really wrong with this. 
So uh, what's just, the fun in that? Just being so hungry wrong, all the right. time. <laughs> so you know, when I heard about this paleo diet and then grain free, and and you know, kind of eased my way into it. One of the first things I noticed was it was very, it was a very satiating way of eating that I didn't have to be hungry all the time. In fact, in the beginning, I thought, oh, hell, there's no way I'm going to lose weight doing this. I'm not hungry. How could I lose weight? I mean, in my mind, the only way to lose weight was to be hungry. And I wasn't hungry, except weight started falling off. Like at one point, I hit about a pound a day. And I thought, this is just crazy. Yeah. Um, So then, you know, I researched it and started helping other people with it. And I had a doctor call my show one day and say I was going to kill people and, and I shouldn't be talking about this because I don't understand what I'm talking about and ketoacidosis is dangerous. And, and I, I felt bad for the guy, I really did. I was embarrassed for him. I thought, you know, here I am an ex-truck driver and, and I could destroy all of your arguments. You are so misinformed about this. And what I said was, um, first off, doctor, you don't know what I know. You don't know what my education or background is. You didn't ask. I do know most of yours. And based on your answers, I know what else happened. You've been to medical school. I get it. You think this is a medical issue. It's not. It's a nutritional issue. You know zip about nutrition. And I know it because they didn't teach it to you in medical school. I know what the curriculum is. And based on what you're saying now, I know you've done no additional research on your own. Because if you did, you wouldn't be saying the things you're saying right now. So you really should stay in your lane. This isn't a medical issue. It's a nutritional issue. And unless you're going to go educate yourself about nutrition, you should probably stop embarrassing yourself. (laughs) Isn't that right? Good for you standing up like that. Because when I worked in the hospital, I would have medical students or first, second, third year resident students come shadow me. And some of them didn't even know how to read a food label, to be honest with right. you. No, they, I, that doesn't And then I'm going to throw keto in. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, they, wow. Yeah, they said, you know, maybe we got a lecture on nutrition. And it's just absolutely just blows my mind that these, that these physicians that are treating, helping to treat disease that are not educated on proper nutrition. And it's really, it's really unfortunate that that is the case. It is. (laughs) And I tell people and they look at me like I have three heads, stop asking your doctor what to eat. He doesn't have a clue. You might as well ask your dentist what's wrong with the turbocharger on your truck. (laughs) Isn't that right? You know, and every... The thing about this type of eating plan or this lifestyle change is that it is completely individualized. So every person will take to it in a different way. And what you have to do is figure out what works best for you. So for you, Kevin, you know, you, you were losing a pound a day at one point. I mean, that is amazing. It was just falling off of you. But we may also work, you know, with a 58-year-old, you know, postmenopausal woman who is like, I've been doing this for so long and I'm not losing any weight and we need to make adjustments. And that's where, 
you know, testing ketones and really making the diet plans to be individualized for each person is really important and helpful. That's an excellent point. And I could go back and kind of clarify when I got to the point where I was losing a pound a day, it was because I had been working on my own, tweaking it, working with a lot of other people, tweaking it, figuring out exactly what you were just saying. And then I got to the point where I was able to do that and we were able to help other people figure out what tweaks do you need to make. And But the one thing I think we can say pretty clearly these days about weight loss, and I want to go back and finish a thought from earlier, um, the lower carb we eat, the more weight we lose. I mean, I, I know we went through the thing. It wasn't quite so straightforward with women a lot of times. that That was a group we struggled a little more with. So we would go back and start adding some carbs and that wasn't really Uh working all that well either occasionally. But honestly, we actually found when we started promoting more carnivore that women started having fewer Uh problems with carnivore. It was, we got rid of more carbs and we got rid of more plants. We actually made, some people said, well, maybe keto is just too extreme for women, you know, hormonal issues. I, I get that. It was, it was a theory. We thought the same thing. Turns out it probably wasn't true, though. I mean, it's not the carbs that seem to matter. And the lower carb we go, the more weight people seem to lose, the less problems they seem to have. The more plants we remove from most people's diet, it seems like the better they do. And that's still hard to get my head around even. Um, But the other thing I want to remind people, because if, if they think keto was a fad or if they think paleo was a fad, So then there was paleo was kind of the big one, then keto for a while. Now carnivores really talked about more than any of these. Um, But the the one thing they should remember, carnivore is keto. Keto hasn't gone away. We may call the diet now carnivore, but a carnivore diet by default is keto. Absolutely. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. Any diet. Keto diet is nothing more. Keto itself is not very descriptive. It only tells us one thing about your diet. The only thing it tells us about Mm -hmm. your diet is you have eliminated enough sugar so that your body will now produce ketones. Isn't it? Isn't that really the only thing that word tells us about a diet? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, And when you are eating carnivore, that means that you're eating basically you're eating protein and a lot of the protein sources that you're eating are higher in fat. So this is a very high fat, low carbohydrate diet. You know, it's different than if you're an actual ketogenic diet, which I, again, I really just wish that we would call this something different sometimes because it just confused all these, you know, it just confuses people. What what if you and I started campaign to go back to calling it banting? That might be fun. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's confusing for so many people. But yes, you know, carnivore is is all the rage right now because it is it is usually ketogenic. Now, people who are following a carnivore type lifestyle may not always get into a very strong state of ketosis, but that's right. not necessarily always the goal too, just because it is such higher protein. So it's again, individualized, personalized, finding out what's best for you and what's going to work for your body, for your lifestyle and making adjustments as you go. You can't be married to one kind of 
lifestyle. You've got to find what's going to be best for how, where you feel the best. Excellent. And I agree with that. I, I think the most important thing we should look at, we can argue research all day long. You can find papers, research papers, even well done research papers to support almost anything you want about nutrition. I've given up on that whole thing. It's just not worth arguing research mm-hmm. papers. To me, it's just results. That's really, we've been doing this long enough. We, we can see consistent results. You can't argue with that. And a lot of people try. They'll say, well, that's just anecdotal. Might be anecdotal, but I've worked with thousands of people. That's a lot of anecdotes. <laughs> that is true. Oh, yeah, exactly. When you get the same consistent results over and over and over and over, how do you argue with that? I used to talk to some of my other registered dietitian colleagues, and I would, this was years ago, I would argue with them. I said, let's compare our patients together. You you educate how you do, and yeah. I'll educate how I do. Let's compare the right. two. Let's see what the results are after three months. That's exactly right. That, to me, makes sense. Don't, don't tell me about some research right. paper, you know, that says we should be eating 32 pounds of kale a month. Let's just look <laughs> at results. I've seen people that eat a lot of kale. They're not healthy. But isn't it so, because of all these varying different, you know, thought processes around all these different types of diets, it's so confusing for the it population is. to yes. know, should I be plant-based? Should I be carnivore? Yeah. Should I be keto? Should I be paleo? Should I be, I know. it is right. overwhelming to, it's overwhelming to the general person who maybe not, maybe isn't really into reading and researching and they just hear something and then they go for it. So I think that again, pro- providing yeah. information that is easy, digestible for people is the best way to be. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I agree. And I've talked a lot about why I think, you know, I've been pretty successful at this. And think about this. If you were going to go after a group of people and try to make them healthy, knowing what you're going to have them, you know, fermenting foods and, you know, this kind of, would you go after truck drivers first? That's not exactly low-hanging fruit. This is a group that everybody looks at me and says, what? You do what with truck drivers? You have them meditate and ferment vegetables and what? But I I think that I was really successful with this group, and I have been, because I had had repetition. They heard me on the air every single day, every day for eight years. And there's almost not a show that goes by that it doesn't get brought up at least once. You know, eight years ago, there was no health talk in our show at all. It was all business, money, taxes, accounting, fuel mileage, engines. And then the health thing came around. And I've told the story. I was reluctant. I didn't want to do it. Um, One of our employees pushed me hard. And I finally said, okay, let's do it. It's now 80% of our business. I mean, it totally transformed our entire business, our show, everything. But I think... Like you said, people are so confused. I think when people who listen to my show heard this over and over and over and to the point where they're tired of it. I mean, talk radio is repetitive. It just is. But I also think there's power in that repetition. Absolutely. Absolutely. As when you have a consistent message, it's absolutely powerful. Yeah. The other thing that makes it so powerful, again, I talked about results. 
I'm on the air every day. I'm talking about it. But then what started happening? Testimonials every single day. And we have big, big testimonials. Somebody who goes from 400 pounds to 195, you know, and, and wow. Yeah. And has, has maintained it for two or three years. So those are the kind of testimonials we were getting every day, just talking about results. That's amazing. It really is. And it shows exactly what this type of lifestyle change can do people. Yes. Yeah. And that it is doable, right? <laughs> doable for somebody who, and people are shocked when they hear this number, they know truck drivers spend a lot of time on the road. We actually track the number of days they spend away from home because there's a tax reason we have to do that. There is a tax credit for them spending time away from home. So we know the days. I've been doing it for decades. It's not unusual to have somebody, a truck driver, who's away from home 300 nights a year. Wow. Yeah, that's not out of the question. And I don't mean they left, spent one night and came back home. They were probably gone a month and they come home for a couple days and then they go back out again. 300 is not extreme in our industry. I mean, I, I have bigger numbers than that. Yeah. So now you look at it, look yeah. at the challenges a truck driver faces. They're sitting 11 hours a day at least, mm -hmm. because that's the amount that they're allowed to drive 11 hours a day. And they almost all push that limit. So they're sitting, they're in constant vibration, which is not healthy for us. They're surrounded by diesel fumes and diesel fuel, both things not healthy for us. They are, they spend their entire life just about in a food desert. Anybody who's traveled the interstate highways knows that is a food desert. There's no good food on the interstate highways. There just isn't. And that's where they spend all right. their time. We've had to teach them to pressure can their own meat so they can take it with them and not need refrigeration and to ferment their own vegetables. They're picky about which ones they're going to eat and ferment. But even fermentation helps the vegetables be less um, problematic. But that that's so if we can do this with truck drivers, and I can remember at the very beginning, one of my phrases was, I'm not going to try to make truck drivers as healthy as everybody else. That, that would be a challenge in and of itself. They're so much <laughs> less healthy yes. than even the general population. I said, I want to make truck drivers an example mm -hmm. of what's possible for anybody. And, and I think we've done that. If you can do this driving Absolutely. a truck and being away from home 300 nights a year, then nobody has an excuse. I completely agree. And so many people tell me, you know, that, of course, one of the biggest thing is, oh, I'm never going to be able to eat out again. I can't go out with friends. I'm, I'm, sure I have to stay home and I have to make <laughs> these ridiculous, you know, recipes every night. I'm like, what are you talking about? Exactly. Let's get back okay. to the basics. Right. Just because you open the menu and there isn't a giant title saying keto burger doesn't mean there isn't something in that restaurant you can eat. There's a lot of food in that restaurant you can eat. Now, I will say, I okay. always like to throw this in there. The fewer times you eat out, the healthier you're going to be. And I'm not telling you, you shouldn't eat Absolutely out. You shouldn't agree. go eat with your friends. Absolutely do it. I still do it. I ate food from a restaurant yesterday. Don't do it nearly as often as I used to. I make it special now, or I don't just do it mindlessly. You know, I don't just say, oh, well, I don't feel like making Correct. something. So I'm going to grab a burger from McDonald's. 
Don't do that. If I'm going to eat out, it's usually planned so that it's either an event with people I'm really going to enjoy, or it's a restaurant where I really just love the food. And you know what? Growing up, eating out was more of a special occasion. Going to be 60 Mm -hmm. next month. So in that generation, you know, growing up in the 60s and 70s, eating out was a special occasion. Now it's the norm. That's the difference. That's a big shift. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And and so many things that we do socially revolve around food, right? Too. And so just it just everything revolves around food. It, but it's it again, like you said, being mindful about what you're doing, it should not prevent you from doing the things that you love to do. <laughs> I just had an idea. You know, we talked about all the food seems to have invaded everything in life. We don't do anything without food available anymore. That's another weird thing. It's like people are afraid to not have food within arm's reach, like they're going to starve in a four hour window somehow. Um, So there just seems to be food (laughs) everywhere now, which is also not a good thing. We should not be eating all day long. But I feel like the next time I I go to some sort of an event or a meeting, you know how somebody always shows up with a box of Krispy Kremes or I think I'm going to show up with a box of ribeyes. I just want to see what happens. That would be be a good conversation starter too, right? And then you'd actually be able to really talk about it and educate on why why we're doing this. I think we should do that. I think that's a great idea. I would come. Good. Good. All right. I'm going to work on that. So let's, uh, let's jump into the history of all this. What is your earliest example of a ketogenic diet that you use? That I use for my patients or Uh, for myself? I guess any example when you're talking about it, if you're trying to explain, you know, the history of keto, what is kind of the oldest version of keto usually. Uh, Yeah. Well, so, you know, the ketogenic diet has been, I mean, dated all the way back to, you know, the early 1900s and, and beyond as a treatment, you know, for epilepsy specifically. And so it fell out of, obviously fell out of use with the addition of all of these anti-epileptic drugs that started coming to the market with the pharmaceutical companies. And then back in the 1990s, you had mentioned, you had mentioned about the Charlie foundation. It sounds like you talked about um, a decent amount. And since then, just the amount of research and the amount of utilization of this diet has completely skyrocketed. And even within the past 10 years, it has gone even more in terms of utilizing this as an adjunct therapy, you know, cancer therapy and using this high fat, moderate protein, low carbohydrate diet for different disease states, which is mental health. I mean, it's being studied so incredibly intensely at this moment with depression, with bipolar, schizophrenia, mental health conditions, you know, endocrine, type 2 diabetes. Like, that is just I, absolutely incredible, the amount of research is being done. You know, my, my listeners know I'm fairly controversial. I'm not sure why, really. I don't think I say things that are all that controversial, but I guess I was controversial enough to get kicked off the air, so there might be some truth <laughs> to it. So, but I posted something today on, on Twitter, and it, 
I'm sure it'll shock a lot of people, but I'm serious about posting it. I think there is a connection here. And, and my post was, and I know this will rile people up with everything going on right now, but I said, maybe if we stopped feeding our children a chemical shitstorm, they might not be confused about their gender. <laughs> You're going to definitely be getting oh, yeah. I, I, on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. That'll fire some people, but I believe it. I really do. I think there's a lot of truth to that. There, there is no way our, our children should be this confused about something like this. They never used to be. Come on, we, we can't say that this has always been around. Not like this. It hasn't. Not at all. These, mm-hmm. the, we have some real issues with our children, and I believe almost all of it does come down to nutrition. We have, we have males now who seem to be very, very low in testosterone. And that's an issue. That is a, a mm-hmm. sexual hormone that will cause you to be confused about your gender. If you don't have yeah. the proper hormone levels, you are not going to feel normal. And this is a big indication of overall health, isn't it? it don't they, even in medical school, don't they teach that reproductive health may be one of our biggest indicators of overall health? Right, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny. It's funny that you actually say that because right before I grabbed on this call, I, I have a two-year-old and she's at daycare and I opened up the, the app to look at what she's having for snack <laughs> and they posted a picture and it was like, I mean, she probably had three Oreos in front of her face and sure. I absolutely panicked. I called I, my husband. I said, what are we going to do? This cannot continue to happen. No, it can't. <laughs> and I'm sure, it's, I am sure if you poll you know, 80% of the people around you, you know, neighbors or whatever, they'd be like, oh, lighten up. It was a snack. It's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. This food has taken over our diet. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it scares, scares me, not only because of, you know, and just, I am a dietitian. However, there's just, it's, it's gotten out of control. And it's not just one snack here and there. Even if it was, it's still not good. It's every day this is happening. So we've got to, you know, our young, our young children, how are they going to learn and grow when they are getting fed all of this junk? They're not. They're they're going to be sick and confused, (laughs) really. And then when, when I hear people my age complain about millennials and Gen Z, I have two problems with that. One, you raised them. We we raised them. If those are our children you're complaining about, who had more control over how they turned out than us? And then people say, well, you exactly. can't control everything. No, I get you can't. And, you know, they're human beings. But but there's, again, results, clear patterns. You raise your children right. They, they tend to turn out better. Uh, and, and the way we are raising them now is awful. Our school system, our nutrition. I feel really bad for these kids. I don't see them. Yeah having joyful, fulfilled lives. Yeah. It's, it's quite, it's, it's scary. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, really is. And then I wonder, you know, I, I didn't come across this information about how to eat properly to my 50s. So that's five decades of eating the wrong way. Now I'm trying to make up for that. My son was in his late 20s when he came across this. He is also now an FNTP, very active. So I I love that. He has twin boys. While the Mm -hmm. 
the mother was pregnant. She was eating this way. They've been eating this way virtually. My son made all of their baby food. There was no commercial baby yeah. food wow. anywhere. He's also a French trained chef. He made it, the two big ingredients in almost everything they ate was liver and avocado. That was the base of almost all wow. of their yeah. baby food was liver and avocado blends up really nicely. Then you add some, you know, some fruits or some other things in there and the kids gobbled it down. They loved it. And I just wonder. Well, and I what, think what, that, that's really great. Yeah. What absolutely. kind of an advantage is that going to give them in life? Yeah. It'll be very interesting and very telling, you know, 20 years from now. <laughs> it was funny on their first, their first birthday. And, you know, you're thinking about, okay, we're going to have a cake and nobody in the family eats cake, you know? So we right. thought, should we do something else? And then we thought, you know what? It's a birthday, make a cake, candles, frosting, all that stuff. It's no big deal. I think we even, it may have been a paleo cake, probably grain-free, but it was funny. We put a piece in front of them and, you know, they put their hands in it and they rubbed it in their hair and then they tasted it and they went back to rubbing it in their hair. Oh, yep. They wouldn't eat it. That's I, I, exactly, it, that is, that's actually really funny that you said that. We just, we celebrated my daughter's second birthday just a couple of days ago and we were all talking about how a year ago that when it was her first birthday, because we were not big sugar people, obviously, that we did the exact same thing. We were like, oh, it's her birthday. Let's just right. try a little yeah. bit of cake. And she was like, she pushed it <laughs> off of the crop <laughs> of chair. She literally pushed this cake that I just spent like... Too yeah. much money on. <laughs> Too yeah. Much time on. Yeah. And here's the other <laughs> you know, thing we, we should realize great. about that. The way I understand it from my reading, the only taste human beings really kind of crave is sweet. We crave sweetness. It's so rare in nature, and it can be a good source of energy that we actually crave it. But here is a child right. we're told they should crave this sugar. It's sweet. But I think there's so much other garbage in there they don't. I mean, had we given them a banana that was really sweet or a piece of really sweet pineapple, they'd love it. But they would not eat this right. cake or the frosting. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Yeah. And it's it's the and it, it can be it that you know, and that even goes a little bit into to thinking about this this concept of you know we were talking about the different kinds of diets like dirty keto versus lazy right. keto versus clean keto. <laughs> like oh my gosh what in the world i said you guys think about food as food please like let's look at what is actually food and you know i absolutely i as a, as a dietitian i don't tell my clients ever that they can't you know sometimes indulge in some kind of, you know, bar or something, as long as they're mindful right. about the, the volume of consumption and et cetera, because we have to, you know, life obviously, but we want this to be a mainly whole food, non-processed food because keto processed foods are the same things as so, processed foods, which we are trying to avoid. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. All the, oh. In fact, it got to the point where I told people, if it says keto on the label, be very, very careful. Flip it over and read everything. 
And our yeah. goal really is to eat as many foods as possible without labels. Correct. Exactly. That's exactly right. But you know, the thing that, again, going back to this whole education, how can we educate the, how can I educate the, the general consumer on when somebody, when a company writes keto friendly on a food label, that that is not, <laughs> there's no such thing as right. that, actually, yeah, like right. it's not mandated, it's not regulated, like it's just a marketing Could, uh, thing. Right. Yeah. Good point. It's, it's, and, it's hard. It's hard. Well, not only that, and of course that causes confusion, but, but you and I are up against two groups that have all the money in the world to market, big food and big pharma. <laughs> That's right. Those are the two enemies here, really. I mean, this is a war and those are right. the two enemies, big food and big pharma. Unfortunately, they have about a gazillion times more money than we do. <laughs> Same. <laughs> So you do the best you can. That's right. You're right. How do you get the word out? You do the best you can. You just, you try to be consistent. You try to be honest. You try to be transparent. You try to help people and educate them and then point out the results. And all I can do is wake up exactly. every day and do that over and over and over and, and hope I reach, you know, as many people as possible. Absolutely. And again, you got to do the best that you can do to have, to make it make it work for you so that you feel the best because this type of lifestyle can, can provide more health benefits than you would ever imagine. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's just talk about one issue now that that's really popular and it's making me insane. This whole Ozempic Wagovi issue. <laughs> I, I didn't think I could be shocked about something anymore. But I'm shocked that people brag about paying $1,400 to inject themselves with a toxic drug every week so that they can lose 15 or 20 pounds. Give me a break. I can mm -hmm. show you how to lose 20 pounds in a month and you don't have to be hungry, won't cost you a penny, and you don't have to inject yourself with toxic drugs. This isn't hard. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but you, but what, why is our... Why is our society so focused on everyone wants a quick fix Yeah, and they want to do the least amount of work <laughs> in the most, the least amount of time to get the biggest result. And it's just, yeah, oh, oh, don't get me started. I know. So <laughs> if, if you followed this, so I think Ozempic was the first they started doing this with, but then they looked at that same company. I think it's Novo that makes Ozempic, they also make Wagovi. And they said, oh, well, look, we have this uh -huh. high potency. Try this one. It's even better. Well, guess what? There's a new one being approved right now by the FDA that's even more potent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mon Monjorin. Well, this goes I right think. back to what you were just saying about Big Pharma. Yeah, we're going up against I mean. Big right. Pharma. Right. Now, now they actually have a drug that they consider a true weight loss drug. There really haven't been any very successful weight loss drugs. You know, Fenfen was, was actually working and they rid of that. That wasn't a drug. It was actually a supplement. It worked, but it did cause some heart issues. So that was banned. Most of their attempts at weight loss drugs have not been successful. Now, all of a sudden, they have right. a drug that they are marketing as a weight loss drug. And it looks like it's going to be a financial success for them. Oh, mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I actually, I have met with several physicians lately, though, that have actually approached me because what they are actually doing is that they are educating their patients on a low-carbohydrate ketogenic lifestyle in conjunction with one of these type of medications. Why? Which... (laughs) Which then, because their their goal is to then be able to actually lead them off of this medication and be able to at least te- have taught them the basics of this of this diet. So you know, it's, it's yeah. I would look at that doctor and say, "Congratulations! I love your ultimate goal of getting them onto a real human whole food diet so they can maintain a healthy weight easily." Drop the drug and everything would be fine. What does the drug add to this? I can show people how to lose a pound a day. We've proven it over and over and over. Why do we need this drug at all? That's right. It's just, it's a, it's just a very, it's, the whole thing is very interesting to me. It's, it's, oh. I know, I know. It's a lot. Interesting and frustrating. So back to the, Correct. back to the diet love the direction we're taking here we're almost done by the way this time's flown by but i like kind of the big picture we're taking i do want to get back to just a little bit specific about keto you had mentioned early 1900s the epilepsy Uh uses for it back then which were incredible i mean if people would just go read those stories Mm -hmm. these kids were and families were at the end of their rope nothing was working And all of a sudden there was this diet that worked really, really well. And like you said, unfortunately, Big Pharma showed up with drugs that would stop kids from having seizures. Um, We should have known, maybe not back then, but what we certainly know now, almost every drug on the market doesn't, uh, 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 doesn't work on the root cause of the problem. It works on the symptoms of a problem. The seizures were not, the root cause of the problem. Seizures are just a symptom. That's something severely wrong with the brain. The brain is malfunctioning Mm -hmm. and having seizures, but the seizure is not the disease or the problem. It's just the symptom. All we did was create a drug Mm -hmm. that stopped the seizures from showing up. It didn't solve the the disease or the problem. That's right. And that's well, where, and that's and where that's medicine how it has is with gone. Everyone, right. That's that's you know that may have been the beginning of of medicine going down that road. We'll we'll just fix your symptoms. We won't fix the real problem. The ketogenic diet for those children fixed the problem, and the seizures went away because mm-hmm. the original problem was fixed. the The drugs right. didn't. The Absolutely. drugs never addressed the original issue. So nobody got better with these right. drugs. And nobody does get better with these drugs. That, that's, we're still dealing with that today. I would actually argue, I mentioned banting. Banting was the original mm-hmm. word for dieting. You know, we've bastardized uh, the word diet. In its real form, right. what does the word diet mean? Everybody's on a diet, right? Right, of course. It's just what you eat. Isn't that what the word means? Right, exactly. But why does everyone say that a diet is has such a negative connotation? No, it doesn't. If you didn't have a diet, you would die. 
That's actually really funny. Dorian and I were just talking about this exact same thing because I we were I'm making some uh, educational videos that you know we're going to be putting up on Keto Mojo, putting a course together on like the Master Keto in 28 Day kind of course. And he was like, "Well, should we use some different kinds of words, you know, besides the keto diet?" And I was like, "Well, sure, but." It is. <laughs> I, I know. And people would call me and they'll be, you know, they'd say, this is so powerful. This works so well. You should stop calling this a diet. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. And I push back on that and I go, no, it's a diet. It's not a lifestyle. Just because I choose to eat steak instead of pasta doesn't mean my whole life. Well, it, my whole life did change, but it wasn't lifestyle. I still go garden. I still do. I did not change my lifestyle. I changed my diet. I changed what I eat. That's what diet means, what you eat. Right. Exactly. My ketogenic diet or the <laughs> ketogenic diet, our ketogenic diet, absolutely. The yeah, what you eat. It, it's what you, what you eat. eat. That's it. That's right. We don't need to yeah. make this anything more than what it is. It, it's, we're just talking about what we eat. But the original word for eating in a way to lose weight wasn't called a diet. That's how we use the word now. It was called banting. And that's how people described it. They would mm -hmm. say, I'm banting. And what they meant was eating in a way to lose weight. That, that was really oh, talking about way to eat to lose weight. The banting diet was 1862. Uh, yeah, that's how old this is. And and Banting was a very low carbohydrate, high food diet. It wasn't called ketogenic because mm -hmm. we didn't know what a ketone was. We didn't know what ketogenic right. was. He he just he and he was very wealthy. Wealthy people got fat back then. Uh-huh. Obesity was a disease of the wealthy and it was because sugar was so expensive. We should have known. That's I mean, right. yes. we would have followed the money back then. You know, we say it all the time today. If you want to figure out what's really happening, follow the money. We would have followed the money back <laughs> then. Why? There was a time where tooth decay was a status symbol. Tooth decay meant you had uh, enough yeah, money to afford sugar. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't get it. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I, <laughs> The signs were so obvious. Look how far we've come. I know. <laughs> Look how far we've come. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, I, but now sugar is so cheap. <laughs> that's the now problem. That's the opposite. It's right. so easy to get hold of. You're right. Yeah. It's killing us. Now it sugar really kills the poor people because sugar right. is cheap. And, and I'll say it. Ribeyes are expensive. They've gotten a lot more expensive in the last couple of years. But I will also say this. Yes, they have. We've proven this over and over and over. When you make the transition from a standard American diet to a low-carb, keto version, carnivore, whatever it might be, ultimately you will end up spending less. We've proven it over and over and over and over. Yeah, you're not buying all that super cheap, super processed food. You're you're paying, you know, 20 bucks a pound for ribeye sometimes. But ultimately, you will find that you'll spend less on food this way. One, you eat less. Well, because you're, you, end up, you eat, end up eating less. And why right. is that? It's because exactly what we talked about at the beginning was that you're much more 
satiated because there's a lot more calories per gram of fat than there are a gram of carbohydrate. And it takes longer for fat to be digested. So you feel more satiated and full for much longer. And then you start end up missing meals, which goes into <laughs> fasting, which is a whole conversation <laughs> for a different day right, right. <laughs> that we could talk about. But yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we, you end up spending less. Yeah. And that satiety factor, we talk about that a lot. It's important. It's critical. This food is very satiating. You eat it, you're not hungry for a while. And, and a lot of it, we've talked about, well, fat and protein are more satiating than carbohydrates. I, I believe that, but there's another mm-hmm. part of this that I don't think we focus on enough. We talked about whether or not a diet would be clean keto, dirty keto, lazy, lazy keto, whatever. We were very concerned about it at the beginning. You can eat a keto diet that's actually pretty unhealthy. Now, you're probably going to lose Correct. weight. You'll get your blood sugar under control. That's the really crazy thing. This isn't even a healthy diet, and yet it's going to improve your health tremendously if you were eating the standard American diet. That's the ironic thing about Correct. this. But I would tell them, mm-hmm. and if you want to start off with dirty keto, go ahead. You're still making an improvement. At some point, we try to Mm -hmm. beat it into people's heads, though. This is about health. This isn't just about losing weight. It's about being healthy and happy and fulfilled. And if we want to do that, we do have to focus on food quality, the nutritional value of the food. Your meats should be pasture-raised and your, your, your plant food should be beyond organic. I mean, organic is the minimal level you should be shooting for. And I don't think we talk about enough. I try to go back to the very basics on this. Why do we have hunger? Ask people that too. Why do we have hunger? Does anybody ever stop? Why do I have this thing that virtually forces me to go eat something? Because if we didn't, we would die. We would ignore it and we would die. So we have to have this powerful signal that tells us you need nutrition, not you do, it's not telling you you need to chew something and swallow it. It's telling you you need nutrition. So people wonder why they overeat so bad on the standard American diet. It's because your body is still screaming at you because it still needs nutrition. That's right. You might be eating all day. absolutely right. But you have not introduced any significant in nutrition to your body and it's going to scream at you and be hungry until it gets that. That is exactly right on point. (laughs) And when you feed the body the correct types of macronutrients, then you feel full and you aren't as hungry. (laughs) Yes, And, And then you find there are days where I can go the entire day and forget to eat. You know, Lisa will see me late in the day. We'll be talking and she'll say, what did you eat today? And I'll, I'll have to stop and think. And all of a sudden I'll realize it's eight o'clock at night. I haven't eaten yet. My body. And you know what that's nutrition. called? That means that. Yeah. It's called being fat adapted. <laughs> right. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And it's your body knows what thing. to do with what it was given. Yeah. Yes, it is a wonderful thing. It absolutely is. So let's wrap this up today with a description of, and we've touched on it a little bit, and I think people know it, but I like repetition. I like to go back to the basics on a lot of this stuff. 
what is a ketogenic diet? You know, let, let's talk about the, the two fuels the body can run on. Technically, there's more than two, but we're only going to focus on two. Uh, carbohydrates and fats, right? Mm-hmm. Those are really the two primary Correct. fuels our body could run on. You'll read some articles Correct. that will throw in alcohol. Um, well, sure. And it is a fuel. It's a very, very dirty fuel. It is. And our, the interesting Correct. thing are, is our body will burn this source of food in the order it will burn the dirtiest first. If you drink alcohol, (laughs) eat some carbohydrates and have a steak, it's going to start digesting and using the alcohol as the first energy. Then it'll move on to the carbohydrates. And by that time, it stores the fat. It's not going to use it. Use the alcohol and then moved on to the carbohydrates and now it's just going to store the fat. So we, the whole point of a ketogenic diet is to convert our body from primarily being a sugar burner to being a fat burner, right? That's right. And how do we do that? We have to eliminate the, the fuel that the body chooses to use first, which is carbohydrates. So we have to pull the carbohydrates down, and then we have to replace those types of calories with hot quality, high-fat foods. We do not want to be scared of fat. We want to make sure that we're choosing a variety of different fats, but we want to make sure that this is a high fat, moderate protein, very low carbohydrate diet so that the body will start burning that fat as its primary fuel source, which will put this body into the state of ketosis, which can help everything. And... We ca- I'm going to come back to that point. I want to ask you this question before I forget. Not, I'm not talking nutritionally now. I'm just talking about pure preference. What's your favorite fat? My personal favorite fat is avocado oil. Okay. Well, or butter. Let me go back. I really okay. love butter. I do. I do. <laughs> Are you asking me like... <laughs> butter is really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love like avocado oil one of my favorites. That's a good one. That is a really good one. Very neutral. Yeah. So it's, it's, you can, it's so yeah. versatile. You can use it in, you know, desserts. We don't eat a lot of desserts and what I consider desserts, probably not what most people would, but it's so versatile, so neutral. You can use it in just about anything. So that, that is a very good all around oil. I really, really love duck fat. Oh, yes. Yeah. The butter, is- butter's right there at the top of the list. There's no doubt about that. But I do <laughs> always have a jar of duck fat on the counter. Yes, absolutely. I mean, but if, so, you know, that's going back to your first point about the, the novel. Could you imagine if they said when they wrote that paragraph <laughs> that there was a jar of duck fat? <laughs> and, and rendered bacon fat <laughs> right next to it. Right. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Yeah. This would be great. We'd be like, wow, yeah. Yeah, and then I could take them into my pantry and show them my fat collection. I have pork lard. <laughs> I have, yeah, I have pork lard. I have beef tallow. I have leaf lard, which is different than oh. pork lard. Leaf lard is a very specific form of fat. I've got duck fat. I've got bison tallow. I've got chicken schmaltz. I have like a collection of, of animal fats to cook in. That's excellent. I would love to see that someday. You're going to have to send me a picture of that go. because that is what, that is what keto looks like exactly. right there. Yes. 
Yeah, no doubt. It's true. So we want to become <laughs> fat burners. And in order to do that, you have to kind of starve your body of the two other fuels. And and I will throw alcohol in there. I've tried everything. And, and you know, I did a ton of testing with a keto mojo and alcohol and a continuous glucose monitor. And I was shocked. I've been a drinker all my life. I mean, I grew up in a family where... We didn't do anything without alcohol. I mean, sheesh, what are you thinking? That was just the environment I grew up in. In my early 20s, I stopped the kind of heavy drinking. You know, I went through that whole phase. But I switched to, used to brew my own beer. So I'd have a glass or two of beer every night and I brewed my own. And then I switched to wine and, you know, I would have a glass or two of wine every night. I would say I don't drink a lot, but I drink often, like every day. Uh -huh. But I didn't drink a lot. And and weren't yeah. we told that if you're a male, a drink or two a day was actually healthy, especially if it's wine, right? <laughs> right, red wine, yeah. They lied. They <laughs> lied so bad. There is nothing healthy about alcohol. I don't care what they claim is <laughs> in there, like resveratrol and all this other high, you know, anti-inflammatory <laughs> bullshit. This stuff is a toxin. Absolutely now, is. Having ranted like that, I still drink. It is so right. much less than it used to be. And now it better be damn special. The occasion should be special and, you know, good company and a good bottle of wine or whatever. And it's really rare now. And honestly, every time I do it, I still think, and I'm not talking about going out and getting hammered and waking up with a hangover. I'm talking about having two glasses of wine at dinner with friends. And then I wake up the next day and think, why do I do that? I can feel the impact. I, my day today will not be as good because of those two glasses of wine. Why do I keep doing it? Right. That's exactly right. Well, it actually it definitely can. Even when you are in that, when you're in a good, strong ketotic state and a fat burning state, Two glasses of wine could get good. <laughs> you make it's, you real drunk real fast and yeah. actually give you a hangover, it which does. is a bummer. That, and it knocks you right out of ketosis. Your mood goes down. You, you don't have the energy. You don't have the good euphoric mood feelings. Just, I was shocked. And then the first time I saw what it did to blood sugar, it had an impact on my blood sugar for 48 hours. Yeah, Wow. Forget producing ketones. There's that testing for, right. Oh, yeah. It's, well, that's what's really important for testing for bioindividuality, too. So you are, because if you weren't testing, you probably, you would have felt a little off. But testing your blood glucose and your blood ketones were very, provides you with very helpful information on what that just did to your body, right? It's the only way I would have known all this. I mean, I knew all the other stuff. Right. I knew how I felt. I knew I didn't feel quite as good, but I was shocked by the numbers. I, I, you know, I can almost predict any, if you walk up to me anytime during the day and say, what's your blood sugar right now? I, I could probably tell you within 5% and, and I won't miss very often. I know what it is. Mm -hmm. It's blood sugar mm -hmm. is very consistent. Once you learn about yeah. blood sugar and you wear a continuous glucose monitor, very consistent. So- the first time I went to check my ketones after I had had some alcohol, I thought based on everything that's going on, I ate very low carb all day yesterday, got up this morning, had some brain octane, which usually produces ketones. I fully thought I could predict what my ketone levels would be. 
boy, was I wrong. They were zero. Wow. It didn't matter what else I was mm-hmm. doing. That alcohol took me about 48 hours to start producing ketones again. Yeah, that is, that is very interesting. And it, again, that's where just that information from the data of what your body is doing and how different types of foods and drinks and alcohol, et cetera, can affect every, you know, each person differently. And if you didn't have that data, you wouldn't know. But now that you do know, you're like, well, was that worth it? You know? Yeah. And, and a lot of times it's not, there are times where now I say, you know what, I'm not going to pick up that bottle of wine. I just don't even want to have it in the, in the house. Buy it when there's an occasion and I know I'm going to drink it. I don't just buy it and have it sitting around the house anymore. And I, yeah, you know, now it's not unusual for me to go six or seven months and then try to remember when the last time I had alcohol was. Right. Which right. Is, yeah. Well, and actually on our, on the Keto Mojo website, if anybody has a chance to take a peek that we, we do have some actually really great articles that if you are going to choose an alcohol, what's, the, what alcohol yeah. should have have the, the least effect on your ketones. So there's some really good information there too. You guys have a ton of great information in general, really, really good articles and, and great resources on your website. So I do want to encourage people to head on over there and, and uh, do some reading and educate yourself. There's a lot of, and we're going to be talking about a lot of that stuff throughout the series. Love the mm-hmm. way we've started this, more of just the big picture kind of stuff, not a lot of detail. One question on, on ketones I do want to ask you as we're kind of wrapping this up. I had just mentioned, I um, I could predict my blood sugar right now very accurately almost any time of the day. You could wake me up in the middle of the night. I can probably tell you pretty close to what it's going to be. I haven't been able to do that with ketones. Is it really that different? Ketones seem to have very, very few patterns that I can distinguish. Well, that's really interesting, you know, because I mean, really, it, again, going back to that whole individualized, everything is ever, each person is different, but really when you are in a good state of ketosis, whether you're wearing a CGM or you're testing your blood sugar on your finger, really the blood sugar should be quite boring. It should be pretty, pretty flat line, but you're, (laughs) it should stable if you're in a good level of ketosis, but how high of a ketotic state that you need to be in is variable for each person. It kind of depends on what your why is and what you need to be. Good point. Good point. And I've told people forever that I can't really distinguish the difference between 0.7 and 1.5. I Mm -hmm. feel good at both, both of those. I feel fantastic. I don't I don't feel huge benefits from getting really high ketone numbers. I had somebody on my show today that was on a six day fast and they hit 5.2. They were actually worried about Mm -hmm. is, could they go too high? And I said, no, not not what you're doing, you know, eating very low carb keto and fasting. No, you could never go to a point where your ketones would be dangerous. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I've never seen a number like that. Yeah. Well, exactly. And it, again, it just depends on how your body metabolizes and creates ketones. It, I mean, I personally have to be very strict and I have to incorporate fasting 
to get myself into the twos. Okay. I have to do that. Like, so versus, you know, my, my husband, he can skip a meal and he's like in the five. So I'm like, what is, how does that happen? So, you know, it just, but, but what, but do you actually really need to be, what, what ketonic state do you actually need to be in? That's a good point. You know, and that's what I figured out, you know, in the beginning I'm competitive. So it was all about numbers. I wanted bigger numbers. And then it started to dawn on me, look, you don't need the bigger numbers. Why work so hard to get there when you're not noticing much of a difference? If I can get to nutritional ketosis 0.7, if I get over one, I'm golden. I feel fantastic. That's, that's perfect. And, you know, it does, the, the ketones provide people with accountability and compliance and gamification that they're following the dietary lifestyle that they want to be. Because if you are doing the ketogenic diet or a low carbohydrate diet, you should be getting into at least that nutritional ketotic state, which is about that 0.5 to 3 level. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I'm probably going to talk about more later in the series, but I'm just going to touch on it right now and see if you have an opinion on this. We don't have to spend a lot of time on it. It's on my mind again. I haven't thought about it for a long time. I used to get this question a lot. I think people were pretty clear on, on what my answer was, but I just had a company send me a box load of products. can't believe how much they sent me and how many products they have and they're so excited. They, they wrote me a long letter and they're so excited for me to use these products and they, you know, put them in our store. And I don't know, they say they've listened to my show for a long time, maybe not long enough to know what my take on this was. And what I'm talking about are exogenous ketones. Early on, <laughs> it, it seemed like, oh, oh, well, wow, that's exciting. And then I started researching and quickly decided, oh, I just don't see a whole lot here. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. The whole point of, I guess it's piggybacking on all these benefits we talk about of having ketones in your body. They do make you feel a lot better. They're, they're great energy. They're our brain. I believe our brain must just love ketones because my brain works so much better. Mm-hmm. And we know that almost all of the brain diseases respond very well to a ketogenic diet. But I didn't see the mm-hmm. point of taking ketones thought the point of this whole diet was to get my body to produce them, not artificially (laughs) put them into my body. So the only, based on my research, I do believe there's a use for them, but I think it's only for like really extreme athletes, like somebody who actually makes their living (laughs) it being an athlete or somebody is just so hyper competitive in their particular sport. Even if they're an amateur, I would probably do it. I mean, I, I take up a couple sports and, who knows? I may even experiment with some exogenous ketones before I go compete and see if I do better. And if I do, well, then, okay, maybe no big deal. But my take was the average person should just ignore these. And, you know, obviously, exogenous ketones, like you said, have really come into and into the market at full force in the past, really, just a couple of years. Yeah. And... There's so much information that you need to know about it. But again, like you said, your body can make ketones endogenously and it depends why you're, why would you be taking them? Are you, 
what is your why? What are you doing? And like you said, again, endurance athletes, very, you know, (laughs) very intense athletes that need that boost of a different type of fuel, you know, instead of grabbing for one of those like, you know, sugary glucagon strips or, you know, those, (laughs) all that jelly that they would stick in their mouth, you know, maybe the exogenous ketones is is being studied for, or the military, like those types of people, I think it, it could be very beneficial, but for the general consumer who is just trying to lose a little bit of weight or something, I not where I would go to for quite time. Um, we always want to work on getting your body to create those ketones endogenously before we would need to really bring something in from the outside. But there's a lot more research to be done and there's a lot that is being done. That is for sure. And I try to keep an open mind. I have an opinion formed now based on the information available. I've done a about all the research I can do right now, I, I follow up on it. I have keywords set. So if there an article pops up about exogenous ketones, I'll, I'll see it and I'll read it and I'll keep an open mind. And maybe I'll change my mind someday. But based on the information we have right now, it's not something I would put in our store or promote because I don't think the average person needs it. I think it's a very specific and they're expensive. I mean, we could make a lot of money putting them in our store and I'm positive I could sell them. but. Don't, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't see the point. I think it's a mistake for the average I, person. Yeah. yeah. For your patient or for your population of who your audience is, it, right? they would have to take it consistently and continuously and spend a lot of money. Lot. <laughs> Just remember yeah. that a lot of these are a lot of these are ketone salts and salts are excreted then through your urine. So it will work for feeling good for, you know, an hour or a couple hours and then it's excreted Then you have to take more and it's just like keeps going. So, so I would agree with your stance on that, (laughs) but I do think that there is a use for them. And I think that there will be more uses for therapeutic benefits down the road when it's been studied more, but for the general person, not always necessary to add to your, and like to you your said, ketogenic it, it, regimen. <laughs> it's really confusing. You know, there's multiple ketone bodies. That's the first part of the confusion. A ketone isn't a ketone. There, there are multiple forms of ketone bodies. That's one of the problems. When we That's start right. talking about exogenous ketones, we could be talking about salts or esters, and there's a big difference. And then that gets That's confusing. Right. And yeah, yeah so... I just don't see the benefit for the average person. It's expensive. It's confusing. So I'm glad they sent me all the products and I'm going to do some testing with them, but I don't think the testing is going to change my mind. Uh, Right. Well, you you will see that your ketones will spike. I mean, you're giving yourself exogenous ketones. You will see, or you should see, the spike in ketones, but... Pay attention to how quickly they come back down and what benefits that you get from it, how you feel, you know, and that's it, the, it just, that will be a really interesting experiment. That's the big thing for me. I'd love to, you know, grab my keto mojo and see a good reading. That feels good, but ultimately <laughs> want to feel good. I mean, I, I want results, not just numbers on a meter. Numbers on the meter tell me I might be doing the right things, but is it making me feel better? And when I produce ketones naturally, do, I feel yeah, better. Exactly. Right. Right. And exactly what we were saying, do you need to, do you personally need to have 
very high ketones to feel your best. No, maybe you do. Maybe you know, but but I don't think that you do. As per what you just said, that you know, zero point seven, one point five, you feel good. So you know, that's just the other things to consider too. Yeah. So. All right. So can you think of anything kind of in the big picture we, we should cover before we wrap this up? No, I really, I think we had a really great conversation and I think we talked a little bit about the history. We've talked about the different types of ketogenic diets, the different types of ju- diets in general, what kind of results that people should expect, a little bit about ketones. You know, we do have a lot of information on our website, obviously, that, you know, that they're able to delve into. I I, I hope it's helpful. Absolutely. I, I can tell from our conversation now, this will help a lot of people. The next episode, we will get more into specific testing, like what times of the day to test, what, what kind of things we're looking for when we test. Same thing I do with, with blood sugar. You know, I tell people fasting is always a good number. It's a a standard for yeah. us to work from. With blood sugar, I like to do what I call a, a glucose challenge with people. So we take a baseline with about four hours of fasting or so throughout the day, take a baseline, and then I have them eat a very high carbohydrate food, like a cup of white rice, mm-hmm. um, no fat, no protein with it, just the carbohydrates. And then we set three alarms mm-hmm. and we check blood sugar again at one hour, two yep. hours, and three hours. And it really gives us a good indication of not just the current state of your blood sugar this minute, but how well your body handles carbohydrates. You know, there's a, That's exactly right. a lot from that. I'd like to talk about, you know, are there strategies like that with the keto mojo that we should be employing? That's exactly right. Oh yeah. Perfect. Good. <laughs> Absolutely. Good. Absolutely. And Dorian will be able to go into all of that. Absolutely. And I think the next one was just going to be Dorian, but I'm happy to jump on and kind of listen if sure. needed or sure. whatever you guys want. Yeah, to any, anytime you want to jump in, that we would love that. Okay. You know, the thing with Dorian, and if you and Dorian were here, I could do it with Dorian alone. I can ask him a question, and then I can just hit my mute button, and I can go have lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll come back and he might not even notice I was gone. Dorian can talk, but, but when he talks, I want to listen. He says a lot of really interesting stuff. He does. But I think what would be helpful is just so that you get the information that you want for your audience to have like kind of <laughs> <questions>. <laughs> to guide him a little right yeah to keep him to keep him out of the ditches. or if you need me there you're right there you, <laughs> but go. I mean, there you go we'll have to we'll have to, but tag to keep him out of the ditches because yeah. yeah so that you know he is can he has a lot of knowledge and a lot of really great information to say but if you have very specific questions that you want to have addressed i would make sure that yeah, yeah good point and he, he's also very passionate about it Oh, yes, yeah, of course. Yeah. So. Uh, of course. But I'd be happy to jump on I to would, kind of. I would give love a, that. A, a fact, solid I, answer. Yeah, okay. We, we, I would love that. We should plan on that. Sure. sure. Yeah, Excellent. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm really hoping that the information is helpful for your audience. And I'm really looking forward to 
you know, the live call too, if people do call in with questions. I think that's really where that will be hopefully really beneficial. You know, I'm thinking that when we get into more of the detailed testing and strategies and that kind of stuff, I think we're going to get a lot of questions. This is one of those topics that every time I talk about it, it doesn't come up a lot on its own. When I bring it up and talk about it, I get a ton of questions. And I think part of why it doesn't come up as much on its own is because people don't understand it enough to ask a question. To ask the questions, right. right. They're like, you're telling me I need to buy this advice. Well, what am, what am I supposed to do with this? And what do these numbers mean? Right, right. <laughs> and and I'm really looking forward to, again, having you and Dorian, Dorian dive deeper into the meaning of the numbers, some of the patterns. I've gotten pretty good with blood sugar that I can do that on my own, but not so much on ketones. I really yeah. could use the help on this one. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, I think that that would be great. So I'll, I'll get with Dorian and just so that he's, um, he understands kind of what our goals are for our next, for our next um, meeting. And then we can make sure that we have a good rhythm so that we get the information that your audience needs. Excellent. All right. Well, Jessica, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. Great conversation and uh, looking forward to continuing. I am looking forward to it too. Thanks so much for having me on. Real quick. How does, what's the easiest way for everybody to find the website? Because there is a ton of good information there. Yeah. So our website is www.keto- mojo.com. Excellent. So get your mojo on and we will see you back here (laughs) next time. Again, Jessica, thanks so much. Looking forward to talking to you soon. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it too. Thanks so much. You're welcome. All right. We're wrapping this up. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.